This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Is there a Canadian kid out there who didn't want to be a Mountie? Wear that famous Stetson and have a dog like King? It's kind of ironic, isn't it, that the hero of the radio series, Challenge of the Yukon, had his birth on a radio station in Detroit. The series was first heard February 3, 1938, following the success of The Lone Ranger and the Green Hornet on Detroit radio station WXYZ. The station owner, George W. Trendle, asked for a similar adventure show with a dog as the hero. According to staffer Dick Osgood in his history of the station, Trendle insisted that it not be a dog like Lassie because this must be an action story. It had to be a working dog. That's what we're going to hear about tonight. And the episode is entitled Turncoat Mountie. Now, as gunshots echo across the windswept, snow-covered reaches of the wild northwest, Quaker Pop Wheat and Quaker Pop Rice, the breakfast cereal shot from guns, present the challenge of the Yukon. It's Yukon King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the Northwest, blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police in his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. One King, one Gold, gold discovered in the Yukon. A stampede to the Klondike in the wild race for riches. Back to the days of the gold rush. With Quaker Puff Wheat and Quaker Puff Rice, bringing you the adventures of Sergeant Preston and his wonder dog, Yukon King, as they meet the challenge of the Yukon. Here's the breakfast I really go for. He's enjoying his Quaker puffed wheat. Looks good, too. It is good. Right, and so is Quaker puffed rice. These king-size, ready-to-serve grains of wheat or rice are choice, flavor-rich premium grains. They're shot from guns, actually exploded up to eight times normal size to make them crisp and tender. Shot through and through with swell, nut-like flavor, too. And wheat or rice shot from guns is good for you makes a nourishing, economical, deluxe family breakfast with milk or cream and fruit. Tomorrow, sure, try this breakfast treat. Quaker puffed rice or Quaker puffed wheat. Sergeant Preston had just made a long northern patrol. On his way back to Dawson City, he stopped off at a trading post run by Andy McDermott. Hello there, Sergeant. Hello, Andy. Everything all right here at the trading post? No, Sergeant. Everything's not all right. Not by a long shot. Oh? What's the matter? Uh, Come on in and get warm and I'll tell you all about it. All right. You come in too, King. You know there's always a place by the stove for you. Well, Andy, what's wrong? Yes, sir. 
It happened just the night before last, Sergeant. I was robbed. Sorry to hear that. Tell me what happened. Well, along about midnight, I heard someone pounding on the door. I got up out of bed and went to see who it was. Hold your horses, I'm coming. Yes, the masked man. Yes. I don't mind using this gun I'm holding. You better do what I tell you to. Yes. Light the lamp. Yes, yes, of course. Don't shoot. That's better. Now show me where your safe is. But what are you aiming to do, mister? What do you think? Just show me this safe and never mind the question. All right, all right. You don't need to poke me in the ribs with that gun. It's right over here. Open it. Now you looky here, I mister. I said open it. I guess you can't argue with that gun. That's right, you can't. So hurry up and open that yes, safe. Yes. Yes, she's open. Good. I don't need you anymore, McDermott. Yes. So. <laughs> I couldn't have been out for more than a few minutes after he slugged me. Because when I come to, he was still cleaning out the safe. Did he see you wake up? No, I didn't move or make any noise. I just lay there and watched with my eyes half open. The critter had taken off his mask. You got a look at his face? I sure did, Sergeant. And who do you suppose it was? I have no idea. It was Corporal Hayden of the Northwest Mounted Police. What? Andy, are you sure? You bet I'm sure. I've seen his face lots of times. But Hayden's one of the best men on the force, Andy. I just can't believe it. Eh? You sure it couldn't have been someone who looked like him? It was Hayden, all right, no mistake. I could identify him even if he hadn't taken off his mask. How so? Well, have you ever noticed that tattoo on the back of Hayden's left hand? Of course I have. A pair of crossed pistols with the initials T.H. Yes, that's right. That's exactly what I saw on this man's hand. It's pretty convincing evidence. But it doesn't seem possible that a man like Tom Hayden would turn crooked. Andy... Have you reported this robbery to anyone but me? Well, there wasn't no one I could report it to, except Hayden himself over in Snowshoe Pass. I couldn't leave the post long enough to go all the way to Dawson City. You'll leave it now for 24 hours? I guess so. Why? I'd like to have you come with me to Snowshoe Pass and repeat your story before Corporal Hayden. Will you do it? You bet I will, Sergeant. The following morning, Sergeant Preston and Andy McDermott confronted Corporal Hayden in the cabin that served both as his office and living quarters. In the town of Snowshoe Pass. It's a mighty serious charge Andy's bringing against you, Corporal. I realize that, Sergeant. And I can understand just how Andy must feel, but I swear I wasn't the man who robbed the safe. Can you offer any explanation of how a crook might resemble you so closely? <laughs> None at all. You haven't a twin brother by any chance? Oh, I haven't got any brothers or sisters either, let alone a twin. Have any other robberies occurred recently? Well, that's an interesting point, Sergeant. What do you mean? As a matter of fact, there's been a whole series of robberies in this district lately. Any line on who committed them? Yeah. Well, to tell the truth, they've got me completely stumped. Do you think there might be some connection between those jobs and the robbery at Andy's trading post? A possibility. Did any of those jobs occur right here in town? Yes. Mark Selmer's store was robbed about a month ago. Andy. Yes? Are you willing to leave this case in my hands for the time being? Well, of course I am, Sergeant. I know you'll do the right thing. Before we do anything about your accusation against Corporal Hayden... I'd like a chance to investigate these other robberies. I'm going to begin by having a talk with Mark Selmer. Mark Selmer's Emporium was the biggest store in the town of Snowshoe Pass. 
Its stock consisted of everything from tinned beef and miners' picks to mucklucks and parkers. On King. Well, it isn't Sergeant Preston. And King. Hello, Mark. Where have you two been keeping yourselves lately? Been up north on patrol the last five weeks. Are you going to stop off in town a while? Just long enough to investigate the robberies that have been happening around here. I'm glad to hear it, Sergeant. Maybe now we'll get some action. I understand your place was robbed, Mark. That's right. It's one of the first jobs that was pulled. Were you in the store when it happened? Well, not down here I wasn't. Even when he broke into the place. And you didn't get a look at him? No, I didn't, Sergeant. But I've got a hunch who it was just the same. Let's hear your hunch, Mark. About three or four months ago, a stranger showed up in the neighborhood. He was a queer sort of cuss. Kept himself most of the time. He had a big, bushy, black beard. Folks used to call him the hermit. Didn't he go by any name? Well, if he had a name, he never let on what it was. And we set up housekeeping in an old deserted shack in the woods, over on the other side of the pass. Uh, maybe you know the place I mean. Yes, I do. And we come into the store every couple of weeks to buy supplies. But he never had much to say for himself. About the only person he ever talked to was Corporal Hayden. Oh, wait a minute. I think I know the man you're talking about. About 5, 10, or 11, black beard... Or an old brown parker with a patch place in front? That's him, all right. I saw him one day going toward Corporal Hayden's cabin just as I was leaving. He sounds rather harmless. What makes you think he has anything to do with the case? About four or five weeks ago, he disappeared. It was right after that that all these robberies started happening. Oh? That's interesting. It may just be a coincidence. Now, if you ask me, it's more than a coincidence. I think he just holed up in that shack long enough to get the lay of the land. And then once he'd sized up all the likely-looking places... He started out to rob every one of them. Did you pass along your suspicions to Corporal Hayden? I certainly did, Sergeant, but nothing ever came of it. Well, Mark, it's a pretty slim lead, but it's worth looking into. I can promise you the matter will be thoroughly investigated. Sergeant Preston returned to Corporal Hayden's cabin, determined to find out more about the mysterious bearded man. But the corporal belittled Mark Selmer's suggestion. So Mark is still harping on that bearded hermit theory. I take it you don't think much of the idea. Frankly, I don't. Just because a man keeps to himself is no sign he's a crook. Well, that's true, but it is rather odd that he should disappear just before these robberies began. The hermit was a drifter, Sergeant. Probably just got the urge to move on. Did you make any attempt to investigate his disappearance? Well, I looked over the shack he stayed in. Anything to indicate where he went? No, not a thing, Sergeant. Just a few empty cans and trash of that sort. Hmm. Well, Corporal, the hermit may have nothing to do with this case, as you say, but I think I'll have a look at that shack myself. Snowshoe Pass, from which the town had taken its name, was a deep cleft in the rugged mountain range at whose foot the town nestled. The trail through the pass consisted of a narrow ledge which wound round one side of the gorge. It was along this trail that the sergeant headed his team a short time later as he set out to investigate the hermit's shack. King was acting as loose lead, breaking trail for the team, while Sergeant Preston followed behind the sled on snowshoes. About halfway through the pass, one of the sergeant's snowshoes came loose. As he paused to adjust the strap, he shouted to King. Come on, King! King and the other dogs went on with a sled far ahead of Sergeant Preston, who paused to fasten a loose strap. The Mountie didn't notice a huge bank of snow which came sliding down the slope toward him. King, who was now some distance ahead of the sergeant, sensed what was happening. He turned and barked a frantic warning to his master. Hearing the bark, Sergeant Preston looked up and saw the avalanche. Slow slide. But it was too late. The onrushing mass of snow plunged down on the sergeant and swept him over the side into the gorge below. Oh! 
Now to continue our story. On his way through Snowshoe Pass, Sergeant Preston was swept off the trail by a sudden snowslide. Luckily, as the Mountie plunged downward, he caught hold of a small projecting shelf of rock about 50 feet below the trail. He struggled up onto the shelf and then shouted up to King. sprang to obey his master's command. Pushing past the excited team, King retraced his steps through the pass. A short time later, he arrived at Corporal Hayden's camp. The great dog barked several times, but sensed that no one was inside. Finally, he pushed open the door and went in. The cabin was empty. As King stood for a moment, uncertain of his next move, he heard a dog team pull up outside. Even before he saw the driver, King knew that it was Corporal Hayden. The great dog rushed to the door, barking joyfully. Soon, help would be on its way to his master. But King had not counted on Corporal Hayden's strange reaction. At sight of the husky, Hayden's face twisted into an evil grin. Oh, Preston sent you for help, did he? <laughs> well, isn't that just dandy? Puzzled by the corporal's attitude... King back stiff-legged into the cabin, the hairs bristling along his back. Hayden followed, shutting the door behind him. A pile of wood stood by the stove. Suddenly, the corporal snatched up a heavy piece of wood and came at King. The head will take care of you. Trained since puppyhood as a dog of the Northwest Mounted Police, King hesitated instinctively to attack the Mountie who now menaced him. The delay proved fatal. As the great dog backed away growling, the corporal sprang forward suddenly and brought the club crashing down on King's head. Here, this will fix you. More than half an hour went by before King opened his eyes. His head hurt, and he felt something tight and constricting around his neck. Suddenly, he remembered that his master was in peril. The great dog sprang up, only to feel a noose pulled tight around his neck. Rearing up on his hind legs, King saw that the other end of the rope was tied to a rafter high overhead. The discovery drove him frantic. Again and again, the husky whirled and leaped, each time seeking to snap the rope with his fangs. But it was no use. The great dog was growing desperate. And then he noticed a chair standing nearby. Straining forward as far as the rope would allow, King seized the rung of the chair in his powerful jaws. He tugged the chair slowly toward him until it stood under the rafter to which the rope was tied. Springing up on the chair, King found that the rope now hung partially slack. He gnawed at the rope frantically, and soon the last strand parted. The great dog was free. A short time later, two sourdoughs named Joe Lucas and Bill Jordan heard a noise outside the door of their cabin. Hey, Bill, you hear that? Yeah, Joe, I do. Sounds like that dog is right outside the door. I'll go see. Well, I'll be horn squabble. He sure wanted in all right. Hey, he's got some rope tied around his neck. Yeah. Hey, and take a look at that blood on his head. Looks like someone lighted him a good whack. You know that there's something familiar about that dog. Doggone, or is it that? He sure is a handsome critic. I've got it. Why, that's King, Sergeant Preston's dog. You're right. He heard you say his name. What you talking about my clothes for? Looks like he wants you to go somewhere with him. That's funny. Do you suppose his master could be in trouble? Could be. He's a plenty smart dog. Well, maybe I better follow him just in case. 
I'll go get my parker. Uh, you want me to go along, too? No, you stay here. I'm going to hitch up the sled in case anyone's been hurt. Two of us will just slow things down. Come on, King. Let's go. King led the sourdough out of town and along the trail through Snowshoe Pass to the point where Sergeant Preston had gone over the edge. Hold, hold, hold. He must be Preston's. He must have had some kind of an accident. I'm down here. Look over the side. What? Holy mackerel, it's a sergeant. What happened, sergeant? I got caught in a snowslide. Put me off the trail, but I managed to grab hold of this ledge. I didn't bring any rope. Have you got any? I think there's enough on my sled to reach down here. If not, you'll have to unharness the dogs and use the traces. In a few moments, Joe Lucas was letting down a line to the stranded mountain. Can you reach it? Just barely. You let it down any farther? Well, not much farther, Sergeant. i got to keep a good hold on it. That's better. Wait till I twist it around one hand. What's the rope secured to up there? i got it tied to a pine a little ways up the slope. You all set? I'm ready. All the way. Uh, uh. Bracing his feet against a rocky outcropping on the trail, uh. Joe hauled away steadily on the line. A few moments later, Sergeant Preston rose up within sight of the trail, when suddenly... Hey! Hey, someone shooting at us! That me, you mean. Don't let go, Joe. I won't. Watch down. He can't hit you as long as that boulder's in the way. What about you? I'm not much of a target. You should have waited till my head was a little higher. Whoa, that was close. Hey, Sergeant, what are you doing? You can't hang on long with one hand. I'm going to try a shot. I think I hit him. All right, hold away fast. Yeah. A moment later, Sergeant Preston struggled up over the edge of the precipice and dropped flat on the trail. Duncan, keep down, fella. He ain't firing no more. Maybe you killed the critter. I don't think so. I just winged him. The two men lay quietly for several minutes. Finally, Sergeant Preston got to his feet cautiously. What do you reckon he's up to now? I think he's gone, Joe. He probably lost interest in the proceedings when he stopped that bullet. Where was he firing from? Up the mountains. Behind that screen of pines there. Is there another trail up there? By golly, there is. I've forgotten all about it. You see, no one ever uses that trail, because it's worse than this one. Apparently someone uses it. It wasn't any eagle that was shooting at us. (laughs) Don't worry, fella. I haven't forgotten you. Joe, what happened to King's head? Search me, Sergeant. My guess is someone clouded him good and hard. How did you and King meet? He came to our cabin and whined at the door. His head was all bloody. My partner washed it off while I was getting ready to follow him here. There was a piece of rope around his neck, too, but Bill cut it off. That's odd. I sent King to... Joe, I know who that was who fired those shots. Who was it, Sergeant? Corporal Hayden of the Northwest Mounted Police. Corporal Hayden? A sergeant, are you... That's the only possible answer. I sent King to Hayden's cabin for help. Hayden must have clubbed King and then tied him up. You mean he did all that and then hightailed it out here to put a bullet in you? I rather think he was hoping I'd die down there on that ledge. That way it would all look like an accident. Well, it was an accident, wasn't it? You said you got swept over by a snowslide. Beginning to think that snowslide didn't just happen. You mean Hayden started the slide? It would have been easy enough for a man up on that high trail there. Yeah, it would at that. What are you going to do now, Sergeant? I'm going after Corporal Hayden. He's probably halfway back to town by now. I don't think so, Joe. Well, then I think I'll find him at the hermit shack on the other side of the pass. What in tarnation would he be doing there? I knew I was headed for the shack when I left his cabin. That's why he caused the snowslide to keep me from getting there. That don't make sense, Sergeant. 
If you left Hayden at his cabin, he wouldn't have had time to get up there and cause that snow slide. To do that, he'd need a head start. He got that head start by sending me to see Doc Barry before I started through the pass. I savvy. But why should he be so anxious to keep you from visiting that shack? There's probably evidence of some kind there that'll link him to these robberies. Well, Joe, I don't think I'd better waste any more time talking here. Before I go, I want to thank uh, you for... Slow down, Sergeant. We aren't part in company just yet. I'm going along and see the fun. Suit yourself, Joe, but I warn you, the fun may be dangerous. Half an hour later, Sergeant Preston and Joe Lucas halted their teams a short distance from the hermit's shack. Looking. The shack's not much farther on, Sergeant. What's our next move going to be? We'll leave our sleds here and go the rest of the way on foot. As the two men approached the shack, King whined softly. What's the matter with King? He's probably picked up Hayden's scent. Maybe we'd better keep behind those trees and bushes up ahead. No one can see us from this angle. Shack has no window on this side. Hey, King's right. Someone is in that shack. Yes, Joe. Line of prints leading up to the door and none going away. He probably parked his sled somewhere out of sight, just like we did. What are you going to do, Sergeant? I'm going to move in closer around the corner of the shack so I can get a look in the window. You better be mighty careful. Don't worry, I've got my gun ready and I'll have King with me. Closing in cautiously, Sergeant Preston peered through the window. Then he returned to Joe Lucas. Is he in here, Sergeant? Hayden's nowhere in sight. But there's a bearded man lying on the floor, tied and gagged. A bearded man? That must be the hermit. That's who it looks like. There's something mighty fishy about all this. That critter didn't tie himself up, did he? I don't see how he could have. Then who made those tracks up to the door? Only one way to find out, Joe. That is, go in and see. With Sergeant Preston in the lead, the two men approached the shack. As the sergeant opened the door, King gave a low growl. Hey, that is the hermit sergeant. Keep your gun handy, Joe. Going over and untie The bearded man jerked his head frantically as Sergeant Preston bent to untie him. Looks like he's trying to tell you something, Sergeant. Yes. Both Joe Lucas and Sergeant Preston were watching the man on the floor. Easy now. I'll have you free in a minute. Only King saw the trap door suddenly lift in the far corner of the room. But his warning came too late. Drop that gun, Lucas. Hey, what? I said drop that gun. What? Yeah, I've dropped it. All right. Now you can both turn around. What? It's Hayden. Sound as though you might have been expecting me. The sergeant guessed you'd be here. We just didn't know you'd be hiding under that trap door. Apparently, that's what the man on the floor was trying to tell us. Too bad you didn't catch on, Sergeant. Why so? Because as soon as I climb up out of here, I'm going to kill the both of you. I wouldn't be too sure of that if I were you, Hayden. <laughs> You're a mighty cool customer, Preston. But it's not going to do you a bit of good. Don't. Got my arm. Man alive, that was fast shooting, Sergeant. I had to shoot fast. He'd have killed King. Get your gun to one side, Hayden. Uh, I should have shot that confounded dog back at the camp. <laughs> you sure look surprised when you saw him coming at you, Corporal. He's no Corporal, Joe. Well, what do you mean? Unless I'm mistaken, the real Corporal Hayden's lying there on the floor. What? Pick up your gun and keep that crook covered while I untie this man. We'll let him tell the story. A short time later, the mysterious bearded man was able to speak. You're right, Sergeant. I am Corporal Hayden. I imagine Joe will be able to recognize you as soon as you've shaved off that beard. But if the hermit is the corporal, 
Then who in thunder is this crook I'm holding a gun on? I imagine we'll find that he's Corporal Hayden's twin brother. You've guessed it, Sergeant. Up till a month ago, he was wearing a beard. Mine grew while he was holding me prisoner here. You'd better start at the beginning, Corporal. My brother is a fugitive from justice down in the States. He showed up here a few months ago, asked me to help him. No one recognized him as my twin because of his beard. And you didn't turn him in. I'm ashamed to say I didn't. How did he manage to change places with you? I I came out here one day to tell him he'd have to clear out of the territory. When I got here, he pulled a gun on me, forced me to change clothes with him. Then he locked me down in the cellar. He's been keeping me there ever since. Are you aware that he's been pulling a series of robberies? Yes, I am. You'll find all of the loot down in the cellar. I'm curious about that tattoo on his left hand. Just like yours. In fact, that's what originally misled me. You see, Sergeant, my brother and I served a hitch in the Royal Navy before I joined the mounted police. We both got tattooed the same way. My name's Tom Hayden and his is Tim Hayden. So we both had the same initials put on. T.H. Well, I'll be hornswoggled. No wonder he was able to fool everybody. It's a mighty puzzling business, all right. And mighty dangerous, too, wasn't it, King? <laughs> Luckily, you were around when I needed you, fella. Now, line up the dogs and let's get home to headquarters. This case is closed. In just a moment, Sergeant Preston will give you a preview of Wednesday's adventure. Extra, extra! Try this extra special breakfast treat of the week! Yes, serve ready-to-serve Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice together in a cereal dish. Separate the two with fresh fruit and add milk or cream. It's different. It hits the spot. Remember, the original crisp, fresh wheat or rice shot from guns is never sold in bags or bulk. It comes only in the famous big red and blue packages with the smiling Quaker man on the front. Always look for him. He's your guarantee that you're getting the one and only Quaker Puff Rice and Quaker Puff Wheat. Listen Wednesday when Sergeant Preston and Yukon King meet the challenge of the Yukon in the case of the frightened child. When King and I found a little girl crying in the woods outside of Dawson... We thought it was simply a matter of returning a lost child to her parents. We didn't realize that in order to do that, we'd have to fight it out with three of the worst crooks in the Yukon. Be sure to hear this exciting adventure Wednesday. These radio dramas, a feature of the challenge of the Yukon Incorporated, are created and produced by George W. Trendle, directed by Fred Flowerday, and supervised by Charles D. Livingston. The part of Sergeant Preston is played by Paul Sutton. They are brought to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the same time by Quaker Puff Wheat and Quaker Puff Rice. The breakfast cereal shot from guns. Attention dog owners, here's a real bargain. The famous Kennel Bar Dog Feeding Bowl, now only $1 plus four kennel ration labels. Compares with bowls worth up to $3.50. It's 15 inches long, made of heavy-gauge plastic. It won't tip over, and it's easy to clean. Serves water and food separately. Get yours today. Your dealer has the mailing coupon. 
Or send your dollar and four kettle ration labels to Kettle Ration, Chicago 77. This is J. Michael wishing you goodbye, good luck, and good health from Quaker Pup Wheat and Quaker Pup Rice. So long. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for Life with Luigi, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Life with Luigi, the story of the little immigrant from Italy to Chicago. In tonight's show, we'll hear that Luigi thinks life in America is beautiful, except at tax time. We invite you to enjoy life. Life with Luigi, a new comedy show created by Cy Howard and starring that celebrated actor, Mr. J. Carol Nash, with Alan Reed as Pasquale. A year ago, when Luigi Pasco left Italy to start his new life in America, he promised his mother that he would write and tell her about his adventures. So now let's read Luigi's letter as he writes to Mama Pasco in Italy. Dear Mamma Mia, America is a great country where everybody's a very nice and a friendly. And right now, Mamma Mia, in America is what they call income tax season. <laughs> this is the time when everybody is fi- busy figuring out how much money they got to send to the government and how much they're going to live on and what they got to live. <laughs> Me, I'm going to try to be extra good American. I'm going to wait for March 15. Last January 1st, I make out my income tax and I send it right in. I'm got empty pockets of three months before everybody else. <laughs> but I'm got the good reason for sending my money in so fast, Mamma Mia. I'm no one to be guilty of what they call withholding a tax. <laughs> Mamma, by the time you receive this letter, is it going to be time for your birthday? Happy birthday, Mamma Mia. I'm only wish I can send you silver candlesticks. I promise you I send it when I come to America. But is it going to have to wait for a little while? Anyway, in a close, you're going to find the birthday card, which I'm buying a store especially for you. They don't have the kind of card I want. But do you know, with us, the feeling is a count more than anything else. So don't look where it's to say, Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Anyway, I'm still going to try to get something nice for you. Right now, I'm leaving my antique shop for my night school class. Hello, Mr. Basco. Got a registered letter for you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Melman. Oh, uh, Mr. Basco, you got any new stamps from Italy for my kid? No, but when I get some more, I save it for you. Hey, this letter must be advertisement for new mamas. It's a, say, Maternal Revenue Department. <laughs> You better take a good look at it. It's from the Internal Revenue Department. Well, so long. Internal Revenue. Dear Mr. Basco, 
an internal revenue agent will call to see you tomorrow at 4 p.m. in reference to your 1948 tax return. Mamma mia, what can they want from me? I go right now and ask my night school teacher, Miss Spaulding. All right, all right, class, class, please, please, let's come to attention. I'll call the roll. Mr. Basco? Present. Mr. Horowitz? Present. Mr. Olson? Present. Mr. Schultz? Mr. Schultz, you're here. Aren't you going to say anything? What is there to say? I'm here, and that's all. <laughs> please, please, Mr. Schultz. Now, class, our lesson for today is on government. Now, who can tell me the three main branches of our government? I can see, John. Good. What are they? Main branch, uptown and downtown. <laughs> no, Mr. Schultz. No, that's completely wrong. That's not even anywhere All near... All right. Don't rub it in. <laughs> Will someone else volunteer to answer that question? The three main branches of the government. Now, if you recall, I gave you a simple formula for remembering it. Think of Washington and three branches on one tree. I'm exploring. I try. Fine. Well, uh, is it the, the legislative, the, the executive, the executive, executive... Luigi, get off that branch before you break the tree! <laughs> please, please, Mr. Schultz. Legislative and executive is correct, Mr. Basco. Now, I'll give you a hint. The third department has to do with courts. Oh, yes, I'm a remember. A legislative, an executive, and a judicial. Perfect, Mr. Basco. For that, you get a good mark. Never mind the good mark. Give Louise a refrigerator. <laughs> Mr. Schultz, please. Oh, yes, Mr. Olson? Uh, your, uh, the legislative department is to make the laws. The executive department is to carry out the laws. The judicial department is to try the laws in court. That's very good, Mr. Olson. Oh, I stay up real late last night, Miss Spaulding, and I study real hard. And that's why I always answer the questions right. What a show-off. I hate a man that knows everything. Miss <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spaulding. Yes, Mr. Basco? I'd like to ask you something. A little while ago, I'm a receiver this letter from Internal Revenue Department. Ooh, Internal Revenue Department, Luigi. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Why didn't you pay your income tax? Well, sure, I'm pay my tax in January. That's uh, two months ahead of the time. Oh, that's even worse, Luigi. They suspect you if you're too anxious. <laughs> the California Limited leaves at four o'clock. Jump on it. Get away. Go out of town. Get out. Mr. Schultz, please. Please, Mr. Schultz. <laughs> really, Mr. Schultz, really. They do not suspect you, Mr. Basco. The government is very grateful to anyone who sends his tax money in before the big rush. Then why the government is sending a special man to see me tomorrow? Luigi, maybe they, they want to thank you for being an early bird. Then why don't they send me a letter of thanks? So why are they sending a man? I tell you why, Luigi. Because they can't fit handcuffs into an envelope. <laughs> Wait 
pa' mí, ven, pa' mí. Uh. Oh, my rheumatism, you bitch. Oh, listen to me. I couldn't get $30 for myself on a used car lot. Schultz, in a come taxi man is a come tomorrow at 4 o'clock. You think he's going to make a trouble? Oh, smile, Luigi, smile. <laughs> Maybe you just made it a little mistake and nothing is going to happen. You know what happened when I first came to America? I sent in my first income tax without anything written on it. <laughs> Why? Because on the top it said, return this income tax blank. <laughs> I'm trying to make you laugh. Is it going to be some birthday present for my mama if she finds out I'm in trouble with the government? Don't worry, Luigi. Smile. What can they do to you? Can they take away your money? Can they take away your clothes? Can they take away your business? Schultz, can they? Tomorrow night, you know, if you ain't got it, they took it away. <laughs> Luigi, my friend. Hello, Luigi. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, Pasquale. What's the matter, Luigi? You walking around like a chicken with its tail between its legs. <laughs> Pasquale is a long story. You see, I'm going to get a letter from Income Tax Department that it says a man is coming to antique shop tomorrow. So I'm taking tonight to school for help. Miss Spalding says there's nothing to worry about. But Olsen is saying it's maybe trouble, and the shoots is making it sound even worse. Oh, she'll go to everybody, whether your friend is bringing you from the other country, Pasquale. Luigi, why are you always running around every place for information when you could have come right here to get the dope? <laughs> You're so right, Pasquale. <laughs> Is nobody a bigger doper than you? <laughs> That's a funny thing. When I'm saying it's to come out a different. <laughs> Luigi, you always are gonna have a trouble with a taxi department because you ain't got a, what they call a dependent. Dependent? What's that? A dependent? That's just something a fella is married, so he should pay less of taxes. Oh. Now, I'm going to show you I'm your best friend, Luigi. I'm going to give you one of my dependents a free of charge. <laughs> you will, Pasquale? Sure, I'm going to give you a wife. For Pasquale, you already married to her. Not my wife. My daughter Rosa. What do you say, Luigi? No, Pasquale. Rosa is a two-factor for me. <laughs> No water for my little girl is away 250 pounds. If you marry an ordinary girl, you've got a one dependent. If you marry my Rosa, right away you've got a two dependent. Pasquale, please, don't talk about Rosa. Just to tell me, why is income tax man coming to see me? Why is he coming to see anybody? To get him more money. Tell me, my big business man, how much money are you sending to the government in January? Ten dollars. Ten dollars. Well, there's your trouble. You violate a very big law, the uh, e pluribus unum law. <laughs> that's, that's what they call it. 
E pluribus unum? Sure. For men is the E pluribus unum, for ladies is the she pluribus unum. <laughs> but Pasquale, if this is American law, why is it written in a foreign language? Because it's especially for foreigners. They got to pay an extra hundred dollars. Hundred dollars? Mamma mia, Pasquale, when was it this law passed? Uh, just a half hour ago. <laughs> Didn't you hear it on your radio? No. No wonder you ain't got FM. FM? Sure, FM. That's the meaning they broadcast about a power of the money. <laughs> your radio, your radio is AM. That's the meaning they broadcast only about American money. But Pasquale, what am I going to do? I'm not got a hundred dollars to pay this unum tax. Well, I'm not such a bad fella. You know, Pasquale's got a big heart, always taking care of people he's alike. Luigi, I'm ready to give you a hundred dollars to keep you out of Alcatraz. All you got to do is marry Rosa. What do you say, my son? Pasquale, where's Alcatraz? All right, go ahead and be stubborn. You ain't got no credit in the bank. Where are you going to get the $100? Pasquale, I go to a loan company. I see advertisement in all the papers that say, we lend you money. All you need is co-signer. Well, I'm going to get a Schultz, and he's going to sign it for my co. <laughs> go ahead. Get a Schultz. See what I... Uh, hey, loan company. Uh-huh. Luigi is in a hard feeling between us. What do you want a Schultz for? I'm your best friend. I sign it for you, Cole. Pasquale, you do this for me? Sure, I know a fine loaner company. The Happy Finance Company on a Dearborn Street. 800 a block. Oh. Now, you go down the first thing in the morning. I'm going to take care of everything for you right now. Go ahead, my little man. Take a walk. Stop worrying. Oh, thank you, go, Pasquale. Go. You're a real friend. Sure. Goodbye. Go, go. Goodbye. <laughs> Abro Figaro, bravo, bravissimo, abro Figaro, bravo, bravissimo, fortunatissimo, fortunatissimo, fortunatissimo. Hello? Happy Finance Company? Fellow by name of Luigi Basco is coming in tomorrow for a loan. I'm his co-signer, so give him all of the money he's asking for. A hundred, a thousand, even a million dollars. I'm good for it. Oh, pardon me, I gotta hang up for now. My keepers are coming for me. What's my name? Pasquale. But around here, everybody's calling me Snake Pit. <laughs> Life with Luigi continues in just a moment. But first, every once in a while, you hear an announcer making the fact that 99 million people listen to CBS every week. So let's add another fact on there to the effect that most of them are crazy about a certain blonde. Along with Jack Benny, Lux Theater, and Arthur Godfrey, this blonde's always one of the most popular in radio, and she does it by thoroughly confusing everyone, all the way from the income tax experts and insurance salesmen to her boyfriend and best girlfriend. If you haven't met my friend Irma, the blonde in question, wangle an introduction over most of these same stations tomorrow night. There's never a dull moment, never a lull in the laughter when my friend Irma tries to let an idea enter her pretty blonde head. <laughs> And now for the second act of Luigi Basco's adventures in Chicago, we turn to page two of his letter to his mother in Italy. 
And the some mamma mia. Although in a come a taxi man as a come this afternoon to see me, I'm not so worried because I'm going to loan a company to borrow a hundred dollars. Everything is a depend on this alone. So I'm fixing myself up to look like a real rich man. I'm going to wear for the first time what you gave me when I left the home. The blue earmuffs and the red tablecloth. <laughs> tablecloth is going to make a fine muffler. Also, I'm going to get a haircut. Cost me 20 cents. And I bite my fingernails all nice and even. <laughs> also, Barbara is selling me special perfume. It's like expensive. Cost me 10 cents, a half a milk bottle. <laughs> but the mama mia, believe me when I say, with my haircut, a shave, my nails and my smell, nobody we ever bury look so good. <laughs> Excuse me, please. This is the Happy Finance Company, no? That's right. Well, I'm coming to make a loan from you. My name is Luigi Basco. I... Basco? Say, were you recommended by your friend, Mr. Pasquale? That's right. I'm going to get out of sight. I think I was a pushed. Please, mister. Maybe you heard the wrong. I was talking about a fellow who's a guarantee this salon for you. What did you say his name was? Pasquale. This is the time I'm sure he's a pushing me. <laughs> I'm a think of Pasquale is no helping me. He's a throw a monkey into my wrench. <laughs> Mamma mia. That was my last chance to get a hundred dollars for a heap of the unum attack. So what am I gonna do now? I know. I'm gonna go right down to income tax department. I'm going to wait for them to come and get to me. I'm going to give myself up. <laughs> Mamma mia, what a big building. On the top, as you say, treasury depth. Such a big building just for that. Must be everybody is in a depth to the treasury. <laughs> well, Luigi, you always was a good citizen. Take your courage in your hand. Go inside. Explain everything to them. I'm supposed to pay a hundred dollars. I'ma pay only ten. Is a ninety dollars a short? Mamma mia! Look at how all those girls are working, and the people all are rushing around. They must have been turning the whole place upside down and looking for my ninety dollars. <laughs> Pardon, Mister, please, sir. Yes. I'm Luigi Basco. I give up. What? There's no use to look for the money you want to find it. Well, why not? I'm going to never send it. What are you talking about? Please, Mr. Taxman. Take a look at this fine overcoat. It's got a real beaver collar with a pile of buttons. <laughs> Tell me, how much you think is worth? Mm, well, uh, I'd say about $90. $90? Take it, and we're even up. What? Goodbye, Hannah. God bless. Hey, 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 hey. Wait, come back here, mister. I don't want this cold. I, I huh? think you're all mixed up. Uh, just who are you looking for? In the come tax, ma'am. Is it no you? <laughs> no. Hey, just go to room 202 right over there. Oh, thank you. Yes? Can I help you? Hey, look, Mr. Taxman. I'm going to have a lot of trouble with my taxes. Well, everybody does. I'll try to help you. 
Did you make out a long form or short form? I'm a no remember. It was about a ten inches long and a six inches away. <laughs> oh, no. When you filled out your form, do you remember? Was it a 1040? I'm not too sure, but I think it was a closer to 12 o'clock. <laughs> huh? Well, never mind that. Did you use a tax table? Tax table? No, I'm gonna use a plane of kitchen table. <laughs> Look, mister, let's use this form as an example. Did you fill out something like this? Yes, sir, that's right. Okay. Now, are you a worker or are you in business? Well, I'm a worker, but it's not too much a business. <laughs> well, that's not... Let's take item two. All right. Income. Just how much did you say you took in? $800. What? You're in business and you made $800 all year? Did you tell the truth? I tell the truth. I didn't tell the truth. Well, if $800 isn't what you took in, how much did you take in? I'm only taking in $400, but I'm ashamed to put down so little. <laughs> that sounds very good. But I warn you, the department checks on everything. I don't know why people have trouble figuring out their tax. It's all down in black and white. Here, I'll read it. All right. If your income was less than $5,000, you may find your tax in the tax table and paid for. This table, which is provided by law, automatically allows you about 10% of your total income for contributions, interest, taxes, casualty losses, medical expenses, and miscellaneous. But if your expenditures and losses of these classes amount to more than 10%, it will be advantageous to itemize them and compute your tax on page three. Do you understand that? Please, <laughs> if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you one question. What? Do you understand that? <laughs> Let's read it again. All right. If your income was less than... Wait a minute. Exactly what did you come here for? Well, I'm going to receive this letter. No, I say. Hey, mister. You better go right home. An internal revenue agent is coming to talk to you in about a half hour. I know that. That's why I'm a come to see you about it. Please. I'm always a tried to be good a citizen. What the government will do to a man who's who's not pay his taxes. <laughs> Mamma mia. Mamma mia, what the kind of punishment is this? <laughs> Luigi, my friend. Hello, Luigi. Hello, hello. Hello, Pasquale. What's the matter? You didn't get your loan? I'm not can understand why. He's a worse than that, Pasquale. I'm going to go to income tax department, and a manager mixing me up with a shorter form, a longer form, a 1040 o'clock, and I'm going to tell him a kitchen table. He's a set foot on a tax table. We got an argument. I don't know what do you think he's saying. What? <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter for you? You swallow a nanny goat? Pasquale, <laughs> I'm in the most terrible trouble of my life. I think I'm a disgrace to everybody. American government, because I'm not going to pay my tax. And my mamma mia, because I'm not going to send her a birthday present. Pasquale, everything is useless. And I'm not even got the one friend. Luigi, don't talk so fast. You've got a me, and I'm the most useless friend you got. <laughs> Stop worrying. I'm going to pay you tax. I'm going to send you mom a nice birthday present. 
Pasquale, you gonna do all of this for me? Sure, pack up your troubles in your old bag and a smile. <laughs> for anybody who's my son-in-law, I'm all the money bags of Pasquale. The money's gonna flow like a wine. And the what's for somebody who's not your son-in-law? Pepsi-Cola. <laughs> well, what's it gonna be your pleasure? Disgrace or Mary Rosa? Remember, revenue man is gonna be here right a minute. All right, the Pasquale. Ah, you're making me so happy, Luigi. You're a real fine Italian boy. You ask the father's permission before you run away with a girl. <laughs> now I call it a happy bride. Rosa! 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 You call me Papa! <laughs> Come here, my little pigeon. Say hello to Luigi. <laughs> hello, Luigi. Hello, Rosa. <laughs> well, Luigi, you ready to fly away with Rosa? Pasquale, how am I going to get her off of the ground? <laughs> You talk too much. <laughs> well, now we make a plan for the honeymoon. I'm Mr. Wallace from the Treasury Department. I'm looking for Mr. Basco. Is he here? That's me. He's all right, Mr. Treasury Department. I'm going to take care of everything. Luigi, you and Rosa go in the kitchen and bake a cake. I'm going to pay for everything. Hey, just a minute, Mr. Basco. I'd like to talk to you. You know, ordinarily, when there's a tax discrepancy, we send out a letter. But inasmuch as this was your first return, we have been authorized to contact you personally. I know. I'm going to pay my hip pluribusy on my tax. Luigi, go bake. What? Mr. Basco, there's no such thing as an e, -E pluribus unum tax. What? what? A revenue man is a right, Luigi. A half hour ago, this tax was a repeal. <laughs> hey, Pasquale, where do you find this out? On an AM or an FM? Television. <laughs> now go, Luigi. You and Rosa, go bake a cake. Just go, a go. minute, please. I'd like to finish my business here. Mr. Basco, you don't owe the government any money. We owe you money. Here's a check for $10 you overpaid. I'm going to get the money back. <laughs> Imagine, Luigi's overpaying the tax. That's a stupid thing. But he's a good-hearted little fool. And you know something? If I, Pasquale, was to get the money back from the government, I'm a like this little fella so much, I'll be giving him every penny. Oh, are you Pasquale of Pasquale Spaghetti Palace? See? Well, I just about, I'm just about to contact you. Say, who makes out your income tax? You overpaid your income tax, too. I've got a check for you for $40. What? Pasquale. Uh, look, I'm, 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 Mr. Pasquale, I'm taking you at your word. Here you are, Mr. Basco. Mr. Pasquale's check. Thank you. Hey, Luigi, where you going? Come back, my son. Goodbye, Plurabasion. So, Mamma Mia, everything has come out fine within the tax department. 
I'm still got the papa's overcoat. And the best of all, for your birthday, I'm sending you separate with a package with a pair of a silver candlesticks. Do you like them, Mamma Mia, huh? You see, I'm keeping my promise. Mamma Mia, if you see a couple of tears on this page, don't think it's me crying. If it was a Pasquale, when he's a pay for the candlesticks. <laughs> well, Mamma Mia, happy birthday. You can't hear me singing while I'm writing this, but I'm a singer just the same. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mama. Excuse me while I turn the page. Mia. Happy birthday to you. Your loving son, Luigi, the little immigrant. Be sure to listen next week at the same time over most of these stations when Luigi Basco writes another letter to his Mama Basco describing his adventures in America. Life with Luigi is a Cy Howard production and is written by Mac Benoff and Lou Derman and stars J. Carol Nash as Luigi Basco with Alan Reed as Pasquale. Music is under the direction of Lynn Murray. your favorite quiz games, Winner Take All, brings you fast and furious fun every weekday on most of these same CBS stations. Winner Take All lives up to its name by letting a contestant stay on so long as he's smarter and faster than each new opponent who faces him. Enjoy a lively session with Winner Take All tomorrow and pit your wits against the current champion. But now stay tuned for a different kind of quiz, throw your IQs in the wastebasket and listen to It Pays to Be Ignorant, which follows immediately over most of the CBS stations. Bob Stevenson speaking with the CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Lives of Harry Lyme, followed by Honest Herald. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.